0: lift up their, their situation and their name before the Lord. Um, and also, uh, obviously, continue to remember the country. It's been uh, been a crazy few weeks, few months, whatever. But it's all, uh, you know, it's all really going to come down to this next week or so. Even Maybe tomorrow, supposedly the Supreme Court's going to meet tomorrow. So, about all of this. Um, and so, the, definitely the next week or so, we need to keep uh, the church or the, this world in prayer, Amen. And going from there, whatever, whatever is going to happen is going to happen, right? Amen. We know that God's in control. No matter what happens, we're on God's side, Amen. And uh, we uh, we trust in Him and His will, Amen. We have our tonight. We're going to have our uh, young minister come, Brother Brad, and speak to us, Amen. Aren't you uh, thankful for him?
1: Pastor Phil. Bless the Lord, church. All right, so um, before we get seated, why don't we go ahead and read the main scripture I have for tonight, and then we'll go ahead and be seated. So I'd like you guys to please turn to Galatians 6, 9, and 10. Galatians 6, 9, and 10. If you're there, say amen. Got a one or two. There we go. It's up there. (laughs) All right. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are in the household of faith. So why don't we go ahead and pray and we lift up the name of the Lord. Jesus, we love you so much, O Lord God. We thank you for tonight. God, I pray that your word stirs us up, God, and convicts us to work for you, to love you, Lord God, to give you our all, to give you all of our worship, Jesus, to give you all of our praise, God, to give you ourselves in prayer, Lord God, and fasting. God, we thank you so much for what we're going to do in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Man, I was, uh, I felt the spirit. During the worship service, amen. God has been stirring me up. And so I just want to say that I had some inspiration to preach on this um, actually just from last Sunday. I'm so thankful for attending a church where my brothers and sisters can edify us and help me out. You know, Um, I was inspired by uh, one of the brothers in the church, uh, Brother Richard. To just uh, to give myself more in worship, to not leave anything back, because we only have now, you know, and uh, so God has been just pouring this word into my heart, and I pray that I can deliver it well for you guys, so um, really quickly, I'd just like to read a story to you that inspires me from 2 King Kings chapter 9, verses 16-24. through 24. There's so a few verses here, and just stay with me. It's the meat of my sermon, and I hope that it inspires you like it does me. So, Jehu, if you guys don't know who Jehu is, he's he's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. He was uh, told by God basically, you gotta go, you gotta go clean this up. You're anointed, you're gonna go take care of these bad leaders, and I'm giving you the authority to do so, and so go and do it. And so Jehu's about to go do it. And he's already done some of it, but here he goes. And so, so Jehu rode in a chariot, and he went to Jezreel, for Joram lay there. And Ahaziah, king of Judah, was come down to see Joram. And there stood a watchman in the tower in Jezreel, and he spied the company of Jehu as he came and said, I see a company. And Joram said, Take horsemen an horseman and send to meet him, and let him say, Is it peace? So you guys get the picture of a watchman, he's watching like a battalion of, of people coming in on a chariot. And he says, I don't know what's going on here, I don't know if they're coming after us or what, like maybe we should see what's going on. So um, he sent out a, a person to go meet him. So there he went on horseback to meet him and he said, thus saith the king, is it peace? And Jehu said, what hast thou to do with peace? Turn thee behind me. And the watchman told, saying, the messenger came to them, but he didn't come back. Then he sent out a second on horseback, which came to them and said, Thus saith the king, is it peace? And Jehu answered, What hast thou to do with peace? Turn thee behind me. And the watchman told, saying, He came even unto them, and cometh not again. And the driving, this is my my favorite verses, In the driving, is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he driveth furiously. That's kind of a scary reputation. I can tell that battalion, those chariots, are Jehu, because he's driving like crazy. These guys are coming in furiously, and I just sent out two watchmen, and they didn't come back. So Joram said, all right, he obviously doesn't know what's going on here. He doesn't know that God has actually claimed judgment on him. And Joram said, make ready. And his chariot was made ready. And Joram, king of Israel, and Isaiah, the king of Judah, went out, each in his chariot. And they went out against Jehu and meet him in the portion of Naboth, the, the portion of Naboth, the Jezreelite. And it came to pass when Joram saw Jehu, he said, is it peace, Jehu? And he answered, what peace? So long as the whoredoms of thy mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many. And Joram turned his hands and fled. Joram knew it was about to go, but that happened at this point. Turned his hand and fled, and he said unto Ahaziah, there is treachery, O Ahaziah. And this is my next favorite verse here. And Joram, or Jehu drew a bow... With his full strength and smote Jehoram between his arms, and the arrow went out of his heart, and he sank down in his chariot. Now, I know that's vicious, but the thing that I am the most inspired by about this is that when God gave Jehu the command to go and do this, not only did he drive fiercely to get it done, But when he went to go smite the guy that has been committing all these evils, he drew that bow back with all of his strength. The fury in the bow, he gave it his all. And so God has been pushing me a little bit about, am I giving my all? Now, What's interesting is that sometimes when we talk about giving it our all, all we think about is kind of metaphorically. All we think about is kind of, you know, with all your heart, and that kind of falls short. You know, it kind of just sounds, you know, you just give it your all. But then I want to read to you guys this scripture, and I'm almost done. It says Mark twelve thirty, Mark twelve thirty. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And the last one here is with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Literal, physical strength. So I get convicted when I ask myself in prayer, am I giving God all of my strength? Because that would mean that I'm physically exhausted. And I push myself and I give it my all. And the Lord knows we need rest. And the Lord will comfort us. But I wonder where my passion is sometimes. And, uh, you know, I brought up Brother Richard because, you know, and it's, not, it's not that every single time I hear a worship song I need to be suddenly Running and screaming, but I should be thinking to myself: Am I giving God my worship? And I just want to leave you guys uh, with a really quick and simple story, uh, and then I'll be done here. Which is just that many of us can get so—I'm an easily motivated person, usually <laughs> when it comes to just a simple task, right? If my friends want to challenge me to a silly competition, I usually really want to do it. And uh, so there have just been a couple times in my life, and I'll just give this quick example, and I'm all set here, which is just that I remember my friend challenged me to, we were working out together, and he said, you just need to, we're going to do 20 down by twos. So what that meant was, we were going to do 20 push ups, 20 burpees, 20 jumping jacks. And I can't remember the last, I think, oh, 20 squats. And then you do 18. And then you do 16. And there's no break. The jumping jacks are your break. And I was kind of in shape at the time, but it was a challenge, you know. And so when I got down to about 6 and 4 and 2, my whole body was completely exhausted. But my friend was yelling at me, you can do it. You got this. Go, go, go. Give it your all. And because it was my friend, I got all kinds of uh, amped up. <laughs> and I told myself, there is no way I won't finish. And it was the first time in my life doing an exercise that I let out a legitimate scream because of effort, raw effort. And I was surprised that I started screaming. I was, and I, I was literally pushing so hard that I was, Aah! All of my strength. And so, as silly as it is, I just pray that God will convict you and he'll convict me to take that moment, that passion, that excitement that we get for an exercise or for a sale down the street or for a game coming on, that we get the same excitement and passion for God. Amen? Hallelujah. So thank you, Lord God. Let's go ahead and give him a hand clap of praise one more time. In Jesus' name.
0: Drive like Jehu.
1: Drive like Jehu. Hey
0: Amen. Thank you, Brad, for that. Always a uh, there's always a reminder out there of something that uh, can show us like should we be doing more, or are we giving enough to God? And I don't want uh, I don't want my uh, my desire and passion for things of the world or ungodly things to be greater than for God, think the kingdom of God after all that he's done for us, right? Amen. we should give him our all, and that's what he wants from us all. Amen. Amen. We're shifting over to um, Isaiah the ninth chapter, nine and six, a very familiar passage of scripture, especially this time of the year as we're continuing into this series um, of the great gift. We all know that for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. Name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And aren't you thankful that his name is Jesus? Amen. You may be seated tonight. Thank you. Amen. Since the world has is turning its eyes uh, this time of the year to the birth of the Messiah, or at least it should be. At least maybe it did at one point before the old jolly man was exalted to the forefront, which is sad. But we're going to be focusing on Jesus, right? And not, uh, and not Santa. Um, we, we might as well gaze our eyes upon him too at this time. And who really it was that was born in that manger, as we talked about last week, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Uh, we know that it was Emmanuel, God with us, the the child born, as we just read, is the everlasting Father, the the mighty God. And Jesus was the only begotten Son of God, but did you know that He wasn't the only Son of God? Put on your thinking caps with me tonight. Uh, Jesus isn't even the first Son of God that is mentioned in Scripture And he guesses who the first son of God is. Luke 3 and 38, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. So according to scripture, Adam was the son of God. And obviously the first one to be called that, even though it's brought up in Luke, um, but uh, he's referenced as the Son of God. And so we'll flip forward a few chapters and we find even more sons of God. Genesis 6, came to pass that when men began to multiply in the face of the earth, that daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair. And they took them wives of all which they chose. We have multiple sons of God showing up here in Genesis 6. Fast forward some more in Job 38. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. This and Job, this was God talking to Job and he was asking him, where were you when the morning stars sang together and all the, men, all the sons of God shouted for joy. Where were you, Job, as Job was making his case? And so God answered him and said, where were you? Where were you when the sons of God gathered and shouted for joy? And so I guess since the world is looking or should be looking at the Son of God, I guess maybe we should too as well. And obviously this uh, mixes in with our doctrinal apostolic doctrine of oneness, and how convenient it is that this time of the year, talking about the Son of God, we'll talk about the oneness of God, since He is the Everlasting Father. And so, uh, which one, I guess, which Son of God, since we just referenced three other passages of Scripture mentioning the word, "sons of God, how many sons does God have? And I guess we need to see what it means to be a Son of God, since... uh, we found out there's, it's mentioned more than once and applying to not just Jesus. And so let's start out by defining the word son, or we can uh, replace the daughter as well. Obviously, uh, son and daughter mean the same thing uh, symbolically. And so what is a son? What does it mean to be a son? Well, first thought is, is a literal son. A, a, a literal, uh, an offspring, a biological offspring of a man and a woman, they get together and they have a, a, a male child and it is a son. A human being that has the DNA, the DNA genetic makeup of a male, we call a son. Female, we obviously call a daughter. And so notice the term son or daughter is only used for humans, far as I know. We don't use that term when describing the offspring of animals. Oh, that cow had a son. Or that that cat had ten sons. We don't use that word for animals. We only use it for humans. Um, and so, um, for all intensive purposes, the term son is a word that man has made up to describe uh, that person or that relationship with that human. He is a son. And so, If God, perchance, if God wanted to come to earth to be uh, as a man, he could not escape this word son. He'd have to to be called a son because that's how we define each other. A male is a son. A a female is a daughter. And so if God was going to robe himself in flesh and come to earth as a human, he would have to be called a son. He Can't get away from that. Um, And so the fact that Jesus, he had to be born of a woman, and and, and the facet of human understanding, a male baby that is born to a woman is called a son. And, And so we know the scripture says that the Holy Ghost came upon Mary and she gave birth to a son, and that we know it was God himself wrapped in flesh. And so he could not escape this word son if he was to be a human. He had to be called a son. And so there's no way he could legally escape being called a son. If he was going to be a legitimate human sacrifice, he had to be a legitimate human, and therefore he'd have to be called a son. And so we have to ask, whose son are you? But it is interesting to see that when Jesus was on trial, moments before his death, he he was asked point blank, are you the son of God? And what did he say? Matthew 26, but Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God, that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, thou hast said, nevertheless I say unto you, hereafter ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Why didn't he just say the Son of God, since he just said, well, you said I am. But Jesus, in his confession here, he's called himself the Son of Man. Almost every time Jesus referred to himself, he called himself the Son of Man. Still unable to escape the human term Son, he's calling himself uh, the Son of Man because he was flesh and blood and he was man, and so he was the Son of Man as well in the relation to sacrifice for saving mankind. And so we know that the son is the biological offspring of male and female, but does the term son, does it always mean a biological genetic DNA makeup of a male and female? Can somebody have a son and it not actually be his biological son? Can they have a son that has no, GNA, no DNA uh, similarities that they do the Ancestry.com, check your DNA, and it finds out that you and your, your son come from different parts of the world, but yet you call him your son? Can I go over to China and adopt a baby boy, come back here and say, here's my son? Can I do that? So the term son does not necessarily mean a biological offspring, does it? One of the laws in the Old Testament instructed the Israelites that if a married man died without a son, then one of his brothers was to go and have a child with his sister-in-law. And that son would not be his son, but it would be his brother's son. Deuteronomy 25 and 5, If brethren dwell together and one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead... Shall not marry without unto a stranger, her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name shall not be blotted out of Israel. And so, even though it technically is this man's biological child, it's his biological son according to the law it's not his son it's his brother's son he became his brother's son just like that even though the G- the dna matched and so how else do we humans use this term son because it's biological son and now we can have an adopted son but yet we still call him son uh, my my biological father is over there, but could I, uh, uh, but could he also be uh, a spiritual father to me, and I be a spiritual son, or could Brother uh, Buck be a spiritual great 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 grandfather to me? Is he in here? Oh, man, missed him. Could or could? Uh, <laughs> hey, brother. Could, uh, could, could Brother Khan be a spiritual father to me? Or Brother Bruce be a spiritual father to me? Or, and, and in turn, I would, be, I would be their spiritual son. The Apostle Paul had no biological sons, but he did have spiritual sons. For, in Timothy 1 and 4, to Titus, mine own son after the common faith. So he had a son spiritually. And we use the term nowadays, Godson, Goddaughter, where you, you just you kind of adopt them and in in a sense and you look after them and, and take care of them and watch over them, but they, they may not even be a, a biological in your family. You can be a godfather or a godson to somebody who has no connection at all to your to your bloodline. And so uh, we use the term son uh, multiple ways that it does not always mean. Uh, the, the genetic biological offspring of a man and woman. And so the, the term son of God does not necessarily does not mean that it's God has a, a son. because we just illustrated that the word son means many things. And so um, that we talked about that when we referring to human and, and, and Job, as we read, talking about the sons of God. Uh, that verse where the sons of God came together and shouted for joy, uh, those that terminology is, those are angels God is referring to. The angels of God, God refers to them as the sons of God. So I hope that clears everything up. So I know what you might be thinking, that, when the Bible is talking about the sons of God, and it, it may not necessarily mean biological offspring because the angels are also called sons of God, uh, but when the term son of God is used to describe Jesus, uh, I know what you're saying is that the, the, the S in son is capitalized, as we just read earlier, capital S, son of God, which would that would have to mean something that would have to surely mean the that God has a literal separate person son. But not necessarily because in another instance we see this in Matthew 21. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried saying, Hosanna to the capital son of David. Blessed is he that come in the name of the Lord, Hosanna and highest. And so now they're calling Jesus David's son. And not just a little, little son, but capital son. Isn't that how they call the, Jesus the Son of God, capital Son? But here he is also David's son. How, how can Jesus be David's son? And he's saying, my dad lived a thousand years before me and I just kind of happened to show up now. But here I am. I, uh, I was cryogenically frozen and they, they thawed me out. Now I'm here. My son, my father is David. Uh, if that was a literal offspring... That would be really kind of the only way that could happen. Obviously, it couldn't happen back then. Uh, Supposedly, it can happen in the future. Uh, And so, he is now called the Son of God, Son of Man, as he confessed. And now, he is called the Son of David. Whose son is Jesus? Matthew 1 and 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. It's just the plot thickens, doesn't it? This man, it was more than a man. The son of David, the son of man, the son of Abraham. So now Jesus is Abraham's son, and the only way that that could be is if when describing Jesus, it wasn't a biological son. It wasn't his biological son. It meant uh, in lineage or descendant, he was the, in the lineage or, or descendancy of Abraham and of David, and so therefore he is called the son. And so why don't we, why, whenever people say the son of God, why, doesn't, why don't we think of like that as well? It doesn't have to mean biological or a separate person. But even still, Jesus, the Son of God, must mean biological, right? I mean, that, I mean you have Jehovah, uh, you have God the Father, and then you have his son, Jehovah Junior, right? That would mean biological offspring, if there's two separate, if they're separate entities or separate persons, it would have to mean that. And so, uh, if, 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 if who Jesus is, if, if he's not God himself, or if he's the offspring of God, then he would be a, a, a god, a separate God, than God the Father, uh, if you have to define the term son as a, an offspring. But we know that that does not mean always an offspring. You can only see Jesus as Jehovah Junior or Jehovah, Jehovah separate if, if that is an offspring, but that's not what always the word son means. Have you ever heard, or maybe you've even said the phrase, you are your father's child. You are your father's child. You are your mother's daughter. What does that mean? Aside from any physical resemblances, I think when that phrase is said, that they aren't meaning an appearance or a, or a biological way, what they are meaning is your showing some something some character trait or a habit or an attitude or you're saying something that your father or your mother did and by your actions you are uh, automatically tied to somebody else you are your father's child because of the way you're acting right now uh, doesn't matter you may not even you may be adopted but you can still say that to somebody who's adopted can't you and so that child did something that reminded you of their mother or father. And it, it couldn't have been, it could have been that look they gave you or something they said or did. And could the same thing be said about the child uh, that is adopted? Sure, it can. Because it's picked up on uh, habits and, and, and characteristics of, of the parents. And so even if there are no genetic similarities, just by the actions of a child, you could be know, you could know who their father or mother is just by what they do. Adam is the first to be called the son of God, and we know that he wasn't born of God. He wasn't his offspring, but God did not have a child in the garden. Adam was created, and he was made from the dust of this earth, and God breathed in him the breath of life, and and God made him in his image and made him in his likeness, and, and Adam opened up his eyes, and God said, hello, son. And Adam responded, hello, Father. I mean, what do you say when somebody, hello, son. Oh, hello, Father. And God said, since I'm your father... I'm going to show you some things of how to live in this world and and how to be a father to someone as I'm going to be a father to you. Uh, And a son will naturally be like his father. And God gave Adam dominion over the entire earth just like God has dominion over the entire universe. He has power and authority just like his father did. uh, Power and authority to rule on this world. And so Adam could command the fish to jump out of the water and command the birds to land in that tree or command the lion to come lay down by his side. Why? Because he was just like his father. Adam had power and authority just like his father and and God told Adam, go do as I do and learn from me and learn what it means to be righteous and holy and and to live according uh, to my ways and and a human being that, is, that was righteous in his ways and had godly character and, and godly morals and, and talked with his father, had godly judgment and cared for others. And, and others would look at that man and say, you're your father's child. Adam, the son of God. And God would come down to the earth. The Bible says manifest himself in some kind of fashion that we We don't even know and can't even begin to uh, imagine. Uh, But the Bible says that he came down in the cool of the day to walk with his son. And uh, the voice of God would, would, would come out and would, would walk in the garden. And God would come forth every single day and spend time with his son. And they would talk about the day. And, and Adam would tell him all the things that happened. And, and God would smile and laugh at, at the stories his son came up with. And, and nothing was more important to God than spending time with his son. Nothing brought a smile to God's face than to see his son walking next to him, learning from him, learning his ways. And as as parents, are we any different? What's the most important thing to you, your children and your family? A big house is nice, but I wouldn't trade it for my children. Christmas is approaching and when it and when people give gifts to each other and and, and uh I can I can't speak for anybody else, but for me one of the greatest gifts I get is what brings a smile to my face is just is not the wrapping paper, it's not the size of the box, because those can be deceptive and they can be filled with rocks and bricks and you get a, a big box with a little gift inside of it. But as a father and as a parent, what brings you the most joy is just being there with your children. That really is the most important thing in this world: is is family and just being there with the people you care about it's it's heartbreaking when families are are broken and divided and it should not be that way and it's heartbreaking to hear these governors say you can't meet with your family for Thanksgiving or you can't get together for Christmas and uh, talk about heartbreaking and talking about going against uh, the Bible getting together with family goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when God came down to spend time with his son and spend time with Adam and the in the the garden of Eden but one day God came to check on his son see what he was doing what kind of projects he was starting and not finishing and starting new ones and God showed up at the usual time at the usual meeting place but Adam didn't show up Adam was missing Adam was late, but he's never late. This is, he's, he's always on time. He always hears my voice, and he, he, always, he knows some, something's wrong, and something's happened. And, and then God cries out, Adam, my son, where are you? Are you okay? Here I am, Father. I, I was hiding from you. And then the heart of God broke. Why would my son want to hide from his father. I'll tell you what I why I did that is when I did something wrong. That's when you hide from your parents, hide from your father. Except when you're in church, you can't hide. And so, why would a son hide from his father unless something wasn't right? And so Adam was hiding from his father because he had disobeyed him and but with a father's love, God still made sure that Adam would be okay, even though he broke his heart, and God would never leave or forsake his children, even, even when they are disobedient, he still loves them, and, and are we any different? Nothing can separate us from the love of our children. Even if they uh, spend the rest of their life in prison, there's still a love for your son or daughter. Even if they're not in church, you still have a love for them. You're not going to love them any less. Even amidst the disappointment they may bring to you, you're still going to love your children. You're still going to love your son and your daughter. And aren't we just, just like God? He loves us no matter what we have done and no matter how far we have gone or how much we have disappointed Him, God still loves His children. And I'm thankful for that, that nothing can separate us from His love. Musicians, if you would come. And Jesus, the Son of God, born in a manger, also known as the Son of Man, also known as the Son of David, also known as the Son of Abraham. You want to... You want to mess up uh, a Trinitarian or or somebody who doesn't believe in one God. You just talk about He's the Son of David and the Son of Abraham. That'll get them. That'll get them. Uh, get them going. Then they'll say, oh, well, that doesn't necessarily mean an actual son." And then, "Oh, the Son of God. It doesn't actually mean a an actual son, right?" And so, but if the term "son" is defined. More like a, uh, uh, let's say, let's call it a jacket, like a a jacket or something, uh, a shawl or something you can put on. If, If we define that word sun as that, the jacket, instead of DNA, we're making it a jacket. Then whoever wears the jacket can be called sun. Uh, the, every year the Masters, a, golf, a big golf tournament called the Masters, the winner of that gets a, the, the, the green Masters jacket. The only, the only golfers that have that green jacket are the ones who've won the Masters. And so there's a select few of people who get that green jacket and get to walk around and wear that green jacket because they have won. And so if Jesus wore the jacket of David, then he would be called David's son. If he wore the jacket of Abraham, then he would be called Abraham's son. And we know Abraham only really had one legitimate son, uh, that is Isaac. And so we know it can't Jesus can't literally, literally be Isaac, or Abraham's son because there's only one Isaac. Uh, and so if, if God clothed himself in human flesh, then he would be called the son of man if he put flesh on. And he would be the son of man. If you were to wear the jacket of David, then you would also be called the son of David. Whoever wears the jacket that is custom designed for the son would then become the son. And the first man that we are told wearing the jacket was Adam, the the first son of God. And so Adam got to wear the, the son jacket, but did anyone else get to wear the jacket? The next instance that we read was in Genesis 6 where we saw uh, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And so here Adam was the first son of God, and now we see plural sons of God. And this would imply more than one. And I think that we are safe to say that these sons of God or at least two, and they're not referring to Adam because Adam died some 500 years before this verse even showed up. And so we know it wasn't him. And so who were these sons of God? If you stand with me tonight, there's a, there is a theory out there that takes the sons of God in Job that we know as referring to the angels Um. And it inserts them into this verse in, in Genesis chapter 6 and 2 to formulate the, the doctrine that angels married humans and had children with them, which is absurd. I, can, I don't believe God would allow such a, an abomination to happen. Uh, and so since we're going to discard that kind of belief, crazy belief, that leaves us with only one option and that the most logical one would be these sons of God were most likely descendants of the first son of God, Adam. Not through Cain, obviously, he was cursed by God, but uh, he chose not to wear the jacket to be a son. He wanted to do his own thing, and God says, Okay, well, if you won't be my son, I'll have another son. And and so Genesis 4, 26, and to Seth, to him also there were born a son. That's uh, obviously uh, Adam's other son, Seth was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Some righteous activity going on there. All of a sudden these men are calling on God, praying to God, seeking after God. Not only does this mean that they literally cried out or called to God, but it also means that they would call themselves by the name of God, and they were the sons of God because of how they lived, they lived righteously because that's who God is. They're their father's child. And will a wicked and an unrighteous man offer up sacrifices to God and call on the name of the Lord? A wicked a wicked man's not going to do that, will he? But a righteous man would. A righteous man would. So the only only the righteous men, the righteous sons, the righteous daughters would do this, and so. Thus then they would be called, labeled the sons of God because they were living to please uh, their God, their father. And so that brings us to the question, what attributes, what characteristics would define the phrase son of God? What are the pieces, the materials, the threads that are sewn together to make such a jacket that whoever wears this thing can be called the son of God? One would have to be righteous in order to wear a jacket made for the Son of God. One would, uh, a righteous person is just and he does what is lawful and right and he walks in God's statutes and he obeys them and he keeps God's commandments. He, he does the will of his Father which is in heaven. And so uh, if you can find a righteous person, a man that would be willing to do that, you could probably say you, you'd be called the Son of God. That is who God declares is righteous and will live. And it sounds like a good candidate to, to, to wear this jacket, so-called, and call him the Son of God. And so who was more righteous than Jesus? Who was more just and loving and who constantly prayed, not my will, but thy will be done. And, and who else obeyed God's will and walked in his statutes other than Jesus Christ, the, the son of man, the son of Abraham, the, the son of God, the son of David who was born in a manger. Jesus was the model to which the son of God jacket was made, originally made for this, this, this man who was righteous in all his ways and, and he was called the son of God and he, there was that special jacket made for him but he didn't get to wear that jacket for some 4,000 years but until Jesus arrived on the earth there were other righteous men whom God said, you can wear this jacket for now you can wear this and you can as long as you live according to my ways I'll call you my son And you call me Father. And so there were many men. Obviously, Adam, the son of God, was righteous, at least for a little bit, I guess, in the beginning. But we know that... uh, all kinds of men throughout the Bible lived righteously and followed and pursued God's statutes. And and I believe that they too are called the sons of God because of, of their actions, identified them with their Father. They're acting just like their Father righteously in this world. And so there are other righteous people that God said, You can wear this jacket. And we know that Jesus is the great gift that was born in the manger, the Son of God. But but talk about a gift. Talk about an opportunity this year for you and I to wear such a jacket, to be able to also be called the children of God to be called the son of God to be called the daughters of God the children of God what an opportunity what a gift of salvation that we can say God is I couldn't do it on my own but you provided me a jacket and now you adopt you adopted me and now I'm the father I'm the child of the king and and it doesn't make sense because I know I don't belong here I don't deserve to be here but by your grace and your mercy and your love now we can cry out by the spirit of adoption Option, Abba, Father, and now we too are called the sons of God. We too are called the children of God, the daughters of God. As long as we're living a righteous life, as long as we're following the will of our Father, He will look at us and call my children, my son. And if we are God's Son, we know He's not going to leave us or forsake us. No matter how bad this world gets, we're still looking to our Father. He's going to come. He's going to deliver us out of our trials. He's not going to leave us or forsake us because we are the children of God. Why don't we worship Him tonight as we begin to sing. Let's just thank Him for His grace and mercy. Thank Him for being born and we can be called the sons of God too. Hallelujah. Nothing can separate earth. us from yes, his love.
2: Is
0: good Thank you, Jesus, forever. for your gift.
2: Thank you for saving us. Hallelujah. Yes, the Lord we are your children.
0: You're not going to forget about us. Oh,
2: is isn't he good?
0: him one more time hallelujah let's lift up the name of jesus we worship you father we lift you up god hallelujah thank you jesus for your love your grace and your mercy thank you for clothing us with your righteousness hallelujah we could not do it on our own we could not make it but you chose to give yourself for us and give this great gift to us that we too could be called the sons of god Hallelujah. Just as protective as we are over our children. How much more protective do you think God is over his kids? That in this in this evil and corrupt world there are people that are saying, No, I'm I'm gonna still live for you. Do you think you think that turns the heart of God to see these people To see you and I seek Him and and to wake up and to to seek His face and to pray in the midst of all that is going on. He's not going to leave us or forsake us. No matter how bad it gets out there or how hopeless it may seem, our Father's not going to leave us stranded. We're not going to become orphans of God. We are the children of God. We're the King's children. And God is going to be there for us. Amen. No matter what happens. Amen. Amen, it's the worst, the worst thing that can happen is you get killed. But that you just, you wake up and you're in your father's arms. Like how is that bad? That's, you should say thank you. Got here a lot quicker. Amen. So God is always with us. We're his children. What a great gift that is. Amen. Amen. God bless you this, this night. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. We don't. We're not having any. Uh, we don't have any food boxes delivered tomorrow, uh, so they don't. They don't have any coming. So you get a break from all that. Let's try to catch up eating all that food. Amen. God bless.